Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Let's get busy. It's episode number 40 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the world's most butt-kicking Eric Roberts-related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly, and joining me for our first episode of 2017 is my lascivious co-host, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing in the new year, Liam? I'm pretty great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, it's it's been difficult adjusting. I've been feeling a little down over the last couple of months for reasons that I'm not allowed to talk about on podcasts because it makes people very angry. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, have, you, have you gotten angry backlash from your comments as to the anointed one? Here's the thing. On my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, available at nobudgetpodcast.com, um, I've been known to not hold back my feelings on politics sometimes. And the fact is... There are a portion of our listenership who are uh, who lean in a political way that doesn't necessarily meld with mine, and when they hear me call them things like assholes or fuckfaces, <laughs> <laughs> they take it personally for some reason, and I just can't understand it. Well, they shouldn't have become assholes and fuckfaces; that they wouldn't have to hear it. That you know what? I, that's, that's what I'm going to say to them the next time they give me grief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Liam, the 2017 so far, it's been going well. Uh, we're getting some bugs out of the system, and that's something we'll explain in just a moment. But sure. we're doing something a little bit different on this episode, Liam. Yeah, we are. We uh, we not only did we focus on just one movie, uh, we talked to someone who was in the movie, and by we, I am not referring to myself. Now, Liam is referring to, in this case, the fact that this episode, a big chunk of it, a big, probably the majority of it, uh, is going to feature Mr. Ethan Martin, the producer and one of the lead actors of the movie Eyes of the Roshi, which if you will follow Eric Roberts is the fucking man on Twitter, which you should at E-R-I-T-F-M, you probably have already heard of this movie. And I think we've mentioned it on this show a few times previously. But uh, he was good enough, Ethan was, uh, to pass along to us a screener of the film and uh, then also volunteered to come on the show and answer a few questions about it, which yeah. is very nice. We always love when we have people who have interacted with the man himself and can tell us a little bit about what that experience is like. But unfortunately, because I'm on some new equipment this go around, immediately before we were about to start recording, uh, we had some technical difficulties. Again, all my fault. I take full 100% responsibility, but what it meant is that Liam could not join me for the interview. Leaving Doug, me... Did you yes. remember to ask him what a Roshi is? Um, I believe a Roshi. I did some research. I did okay. a significant... Now, in my defense in regards to the decision to interview him by myself, I did come up with all the questions and did all the research. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was probably just going to do what I usually do, which is be like, oh, yeah, kidding sucks. <laughs> Like, that's all I was going to do anyway. So it's it's fine that I wasn't there. In fact, you should just take clips. I'll, I'll give you some some uh, some B-roll now. Just edit me in at important parts. Ready? This <laughs> is perfect. <laughs> hey, uh, what's a Roshi? Canada sucks. <laughs> I really like hardcore music. Remember to say John. I got to say John? Yeah. John. There you go. 
All right, I good. have all I need to create a virtual <laughs> Liam. <laughs> Just add me. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I could probably burp or play an air horn, but that's too much work. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that being too much work. But uh, <laughs> but even though, Liam, uh, you will not be joining us, meaning Ethan and myself, for a large chunk of the show, you're still the co-host, so you're still here with me. Uh, and oh, I'm yeah. glad to be... And, you know, this is our first episode of 2017, so I want to know, what are your resolutions for 2017? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not really good at resolutions. I made a fake list that I think people thought was real because I started getting actual advice on it. But mm-hmm. uh, usually my feeling on resolutions is that you're you're often either committing to do something that you should just do. You already knew you're supposed to do it, so you should just do it. Or you're saying you're not going to do something anymore. Like, I'm going to stop doing this thing, this awful thing. So I think more when I was really thinking about, okay, well, how is this year going to be different? I really was thinking a lot about both I'm having a baby. So that's, mm. you know, I'd like to engage that as fully as possible and be the best dad I can be. And uh, and I actually thought a lot about Cinepunks. And I want Cinepunks to, like, grow and become a real thing and, you know, uh, really just... Uh, now, 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 Liam, Cinepunks, what's that? <laughs> That's true for all of our first-time listeners, I guess. So uh, if anyone doesn't know Cinepunks is a website. Shorthand version, guess. please, Liam. I'm doing the shorthand version. Mm-hmm. I'm just making sure. It's a website. It has podcasts on it. It's all, it's a, it's movies and music and culture and a bunch of stuff. Right. And it's it can be accessed via... Cinepunks.com. Cinepunks.com, and also uh, on Facebook, you can check out Cinepunks yeah. as well. Twitter, and you've re- iTunes. You've, re- you've recently launched a <laughs> Patreon campaign, which uh, I imagine you're going to use to finance your uh, impending child's first year at university? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the main that's the main thing. Liam, I didn't feel comfortable uh, putting Ethan through this process. <laughs> <laughs> But why we cannot. I don't know why. I think there's just too much net. He's a busy man, and uh, and he has made a very impressive movie that we're going to talk about at length. When I say we, of course, I mean Ethan and myself in just a few moments. But before we get to that, Liam, we need to take care of the 2017 first January Roberts report. Ah, yes, the episode 40 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, Roberts Report. So much Eric Roberts news, Liam, over the past, well, you know, it's been uh, a little over a month since we've been uh, in people's homes on this podcast. Sure. Yeah, it was a little bit, and I'm sure people missed us. Now, have you been experiencing any Eric Roberts between uh, when we're recording this in early January and the last time we recorded? No, uh, for me, (laughs) for me... Eric Roberts is kind of like uh, a treat that you really enjoy. It's actually better if you deny yourself for a while so that when you get back in, it's like pure, more potent. In fact, sometimes I get a little worried that I'll have too much Eric Roberts at once mm. because I've been missing him so much and I'll OD. So what you what you are suggesting is a tantric approach to Eric Roberts. Sure. Yeah. Watch I, a little I, bit. Maybe watch like 10 minutes of Pope of Greenwich Village, right? Then turn it yeah. off. Deny yourself yep. a little, then go back, watch another 10 minutes, work yourself up to, say, the final five minutes, and then just let go, brother. I just get into it. I just get into it that way. 
On the 28th of December, 2016, Eric Roberts, the actor, tweeted, I know the Canadian immigration site crashed, but do we need this permanent exit site to crash too? Hashtag too many, too soon. What do you make of that, Liam? I literally don't know what that means. Like, I've been looking at it since you sent this to me, and I'm trying to understand what the permanent exit site is and what hashtag too many too soon. Too many too soon sounds like we're discussing people dying. So what is the website that he's referring to? I don't know. I don't know. Is it about people permanently exiting the United States of America because you've elected some lunatic as president? But the too many too soon, it makes me think he's talking about like maybe a suicide helpline crashed or something like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm (laughs) saying, man. Well, Liam, I'm just look, I'm just throwing this out there. Do you think the best name for a suicide hotline would be permanent exit? No, but I think that's what he's referring. There's no permanent exit except for death, Doug. I don't know what you've been told, but that's that's the one. It It is a sweet escape, I hear. Uh, no comment. January 1st, Eric Roberts, at Eric Roberts on Twitter, he tweeted, The movies at our neighborhood at Cinemark Theater were all sold out on Christmas Day. That is so cool. Hashtag movies still alive. Liam, you know, there's been a bit of a question in the uh, film Twitter community lately about whether movies are bad now. (laughs) (laughs) I I wasn't aware that that was such a live question. Apparently, Ridley Scott says movies are bad now, and Martin Scorsese says movies are all bad, especially superheroes movies. Let's hear what you think. Are superheroes movies bad? (laughs) They are not great, but they are not bad. Okay. Now, you're talking about Ant-Man? Is that? (laughs) I think there's there's something uh, to these cranky old people complaining. I don't think it's just that they are like, Things are different now, and I'm angry. Like, I don't think that's all it is. I think of course. there are things that have changed, and that many of those changes are for the worse. But as with everything, I will blame capitalism. That's the uh, actual problem. That what? Movie, comp- movie companies have learned that they just need one giant, ridiculous tentpole, and then we don't have to put money into other movies. And so that's the problem. I, I think saying, like, Movies are bad and no one knows how to make movies anymore. They don't understand how movies work. I don't think that's necessarily true. I feel like there are people who, if they had the money and support, would make interesting films. Like, I just When will we bring the system down, Liam? I mean, I've been trying. I have gone I around and clogged every toilet I can find. I know. I heard that at some point, and I just read this on Facebook uh, when I was sneaking around your Facebook today, Liam, that at one point... <laughs> That at one point you cartwheeled someone into unconsciousness. <laughs> First of all, that my Facebook is not meant for you. I don't know how you got around all of my Doug, uh-huh. all of my Doug blocks to keep you off of my Facebook. Uh, you know, things happen, man. I don't have time to explain cartwheels and how they work to normals. All right, you hear uh, what I'm saying? All right, all right. Well, I'll tell you something that is exciting, just as exciting as knocking someone out with a cartwheel. Recently. There was a documentary premiere, and this documentary is about a, a very timely documentary about a UFC fighter named Ronda Rousey. She's very famous, you know, Liam. 
I've heard of. Well, I've mostly seen people complain about her, but yeah, I know she. Yeah, has. a lot of people has comp- complained over the last year or so uh, because she has stopped making public appearances and doing a lot of media for her show. And then just a few days ago, she got knocked out in a very short amount of time in her big fight. Uh, and uh, so, and in fact. Pretty much universally, people say her career is now over. So what better time than to now to release a documentary about her? I mean, I'm assuming they made this back when she had won. Didn't she win like 12 fights in a row or something? Yeah, she was like she was on a huge winning streak. I mean, she basically um, popularized female mixed martial arts fighting uh, and, yeah. and brought it into the mainstream and made – I mean, she was one of the biggest uh, – she, she is still one of the biggest drawing names in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I, 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 it's hard for me to have an opinion about UFC because it's not something I engage in on a regular basis. Blood sports. Uh, it's, it's not. It, there's no like moral thing there. It's just not something I care about. Best will, of the best. Occasionally, someone will send me a clip of something like super intense, and that's right. neat. But I can't see myself watching it all the time and getting really excited. It is weird to me though the backlash against her. Like, I guess yeah. people just don't like it. Yeah, I, I guess she had a little bit of like a on the best attitude but that isn't that how all these things work like you're the best until you're fucking not the best and then it's yeah. then you move on and i don't know why everyone's so bad about it and she was know. suffering from some serious depression and she said that she was having suicidal thoughts and then um i mean there, there's a lot it's a lot more complex than we can really get into here i think sure. there are elements of sexism involved in some of the response as well but also that she actually was being very difficult and being uh, difficult. That's a loaded word right there. What I mean is that she was being very hostile to um, the media, and I think they probably painted her in a negative light because of that. But, Liam, I'm bringing her up for a reason, and her documentary for a reason, because the premiere was attended by two friends of this show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of them gave the name to this podcast, and the other one is in the name of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Who are these two men, Liam? Uh... Uh, Mickey Rourke and Eric Roberts, who now are they? Uh, they just went to the screening. They're not involved, other than they were seen having fun at the screening. Yeah, I think they they were just were invited to it. Uh, obviously, uh, Mickey Rourke has a background in boxing, uh, so that right. connects to it. And and Eric Roberts is the star of Best of the Best One and Two, so obviously sure. there is a connection there. But uh, it looked like they were just hanging out, seeing a movie together. And I'll tell you what, it was pretty neat to see. There are stars of the Pope of Greenwich Village back together again like that. I mean, Mickey Rourke kind of looks like some sort of weird fashionable goblin right now. But, he does. Uh, he does look like a goblin. That's very true. <laughs> but not just any. He doesn't look like a goblin the way that Nick Nolte could look like a goblin sometimes. It, he looks like a goblin who, like, went through a makeover. You know, yeah. that someone's someone met He's a this, fashionable goblin. <laughs> someone found this dude, like, under a bridge and were like, I can make you look super hip. It's the new remake of Trading Places. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to mention that this article that I'm reading about this this appearance by Mickey Rourke and Eric Roberts is from the Daily Mail. And in the very final paragraph, it says the two greeted each other warmly as they poised for photos together. That's some rough editing here on the Daily Mail website. Yeah, I've I've noticed that uh, there are some positives to internet journalism, but editing is not one of them. True that over at joblow.com there's an article that's called gravitas ventures to release the summoning in january hey we're in january right now this is an article about a supernatural horror film called the summoning which is going to be released on january 10th 2017 which should be just a couple of days after 
this episode is released. Uh, set and filmed in Texas, the story of the summoning was inspired by real reports of hauntings around the town of Sugarland. <laughs> <laughs> the story centers on law student Rachel Iverson, who places her life in danger while investigating the disappearance of another law student. And this movie features some people I do not recognize, and that just might be on me, not because of their levels of fame, but it does have one Mr. Eric Roberts in the cast. Will you be checking out, Liam, The Summoning? I don't think I have a choice, right? No! No choice! You made a blood oath a blood oath that is going to take you away from your child in its moments of need. Like, it's developing moments. And you can't you can't be involved in it because you gotta be like sorry, uh is, you, wait, sorry, which, are you having a boy or a girl? Girl. Girl. Sorry, honey. <laughs> I, I would love to see you crawl across the floor for the first time, but I have to watch The Summoning featuring Eric Roberts. First of all, that would never happen because I say sorry correctly. I don't say oh, it like motherfucker. Uh, second, second of all, I'm kind of stoked on it. Like the idea of Eric Roberts in, in a horror movie, it, it, it doesn't guarantee quality. Obviously, but, <laughs> um, I, I guess I'm more used to watching low quality horror, whereas yeah. some of the action films we've had to sit through for Eric Roberts have been just a whole other deal. A whole other deal. That that's what this podcast should be called. <laughs> you know, Liam, I actually felt a little bad because of the large break before this episode because uh, we didn't do a Christmas episode or a holiday episode in 2016. Well, you and, decided uh, to go back to that weird rock that you're from. I did go back to Newfoundland for a few weeks and I had a very nice time, but I missed our listeners. I missed you, Liam, and I missed our ability to talk about Eric Roberts related holiday films but i will say that one of the great things about missing it is that there's just so many more to choose from in 2017 because recently uh, eric roberts appeared in the david dakota directed a husband for christmas on the lifetime network as well as a movie called santa's boot camp which apparently centers on santa claus's elves going on strike before christmas because kids are becoming so bratty and self-entitled that elves don't want to make toys for them the elves hate the millennials what do you think about that liam I mean, everyone else hates the millennials, so they, elves might as well get on board. A- any film that would use the term self-entitled, I'm uh, honestly not going to be stoked on. But A Husband for Christmas for Lifetime? I'd like to know a little bit more about that. I believe it also features uh, an, a Vivica A. Fox in that movie. All right, I'm definitely on board. I think this there is going to be go. great. I can't wait to watch it. Well, we will be watching both of those movies in the future, not just because of the Blood Oath, but because, hey, I have real interest. Yeah, that that's yeah. A, that seems believable. Finally, Liam, recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2017's The Immortal Wars, featuring Tom Sizemore, low-budget actor extraordinaire Bill Oberst Jr., and Eric Roberts, directed by Joe Lusion. The plot summary says... The war between deviants and humans has just begun. Keep your eyes out for the Immortal Wars sometime in 2017. Not to be confused with The Immortals, which is a movie we watched recently on this program. Sure. I I would like to know more about what deviants are. Yeah, doesn't that... I I have to say that 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 certainly caught my eye as well. Now, in your own life, Liam, who... Give me an example of a person, a a well-known public figure, that you would consider a deviant. I don't know that I can level that manner of moral mm-hmm. judgment on people. I mean, uh, I guess maybe like a like if I was going to use that term, it'd be for for a Bill Cosby type. 
you know? Yes. There you uh, go. So, That's someone, someone you're not lines. going to get any blowback on, so I'm glad you chose someone like that. <laughs> I mean, I'll you take say someone like Roman Polanski or Woody Allen or something I'll, like that. I'll take I'll take aim at those assholes too, but I mean <laughs> I think that deviant I think that um deviant has a certain connotation, but in its use here with this the Immortal Wars, it sounds like deviants are describing some form of creature, you know, like like almost like a rip off of mutant and that made me think of the various comic books that have tried to rip off the concept of mutants and i'm pretty sure there is at least one that has used the term deviant so all i'm thinking about is is there a comic that this movie is based on like some low rent thing on i mean no offense to the movie movie might be great but it's got bill obris jr tom sizemore and eric roberts it couldn't just be great it will be great (laughs) i do like the tom sizemore i'll be honest there well, you'll be, we'll be seeing a lot more time size more before 2017 is finished. But with that said, Liam, we need to close the Roberts Report bag and open up the interview bag, which you are not involved in. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you later. Because after this break, I'm going to sit down for a discussion with Eyes of the Roshi's Ethan Martin. And I'll tell you, I've already recorded this, as probably you have already figured out. Uh, he has some amazing stories about working with Harry Dean Stanton, mm-hmm. uh, with um, with Jason Robards. He has an amazing Jason Robards story that you have to check out. Uh, he has, you know, for listeners of this show, people interested in low-budget cinema, uh, you're going to get some really good stories here about some of the difficulties behind it and also what it's like working and acting with Eric Roberts. How exciting is that, Liam? It's great. I was surprised he opened up so much about all the hit and runs and stuff. That was weird. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Look, when you talk to me, you open up. That's just the rule. <laughs> I've already said so many embarrassing things to you. Yeah, I know you have. And I've sometimes it's been off episode, and I know you don't listen to these back, so sometimes I take those bits and I put them back in the show. No, you don't. Oh, maybe I do. I guess you'll have to listen to all the episodes to find out. <laughs> Here's the thing, it's not that the show's not good, I just don't need to hear myself that much. Oh, I wasn't criticizing you, I can't, I mean, I edit the shows, so by the time that's done, I do not need to listen to them again. I really do actually go back and listen to the first ten minutes, but that's mostly because I'm always worried that maybe my connection was bad and I sounded like that my recording was bad. So I always like to listen back and hear like, oh, okay, it turned out okay. And then I can never listen to the whole thing. I'm sure that the listeners are scintillated with your story there (laughs) about listening. You always, you know what? You know what? I don't have anything to say. (laughs) What am I actually going to say? You're right. I'm so fucking boring. No, you're not boring, Liam. Not always. But (laughs) you have to to think when you're listening to the first 10 minutes of the show, you have to be thinking, say I wasn't Liam O'Donnell and I was listening to this. Would I want to listen to this? <laughs> you know what? I mm-hmm. you it's too late now, Doug. You made me take a blood oath, so now you're That's stuck it. with me and my boring stories. Yeah, right. But what? But it also means you're stuck with me. Hey, you know what? I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, bringing us back to the comic books. We're gonna take a break, and when we return. I will be returning, and Liam shall not. <laughs> but uh, since we're not going to be able to do this at the end, Liam, uh, you want to plug yourself one more time before we finish up? Oh, yeah. Uh, please go to Cinepunks.com and check out everything going on there. You can follow us on Twitter at Cinepunks. Uh, that's all punks with an X, by the way. Uh, and, and and you can find us on Facebook, uh, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. 
Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Liam Rules with a Z. Realizing this is a theme, the weird spellings, and I'm embarrassed. All right. <laughs> so, sounds like your Twitter account could use an editor, Liam. Uh, it actually really could use. <laughs> <laughs> well, Liam, I do apologize once again that you couldn't join us for the interview, but for the rest of you, no apology necessary. Sit back, relax. After this break, we're going to be talking about Eyes of the Roshi with Ethan Martin. Welcome back. Today we have a very special guest on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. We have a actor. We have a producer. We have a director. We have a multi-talented bon vivant, I would say. We have one Sounds mis- more like a split personality. <laughs> I, multi-talented is how I'm going to say it. We have Ethan Martin here, uh, and he is the producer and one of the lead actors of Eyes of the Roshi, and he was really nice enough not only to have been very supportive of this show over the past several months, but also to take some time out of his very busy schedule to talk to us about the movie. How are you doing today, Ethan? I'm doing great, Doug. Uh, I'm sorry that I scared Liam away. (laughs) Liam is not with us at the moment. He shall return, I promise. Liam, Uh, come back. Liam is just, uh, you know, he's a frightened little boy. He lives in the Philadelphia area. You know how those people are. Yes, Uh, (laughs) I know. We're New Yorkers. We're tough. (laughs) Liam, next time. You know, don't worry about it. Just, just, Just man up. Be here. Now, I I want to start, Ethan, talking to you about uh, your background as an actor. How did you first get into acting? What was your uh, initial experiences, and where did you get the acting bug? Oh, goodness. Uh, I think the initial uh, experiences came from the dinner table. Uh, My three older brothers, my father, and my mom. It was uh, like dining with the Marx Brothers and Margaret Dumont. Mom, unfortunately for her, played the role of Margaret Dumont. (laughs) And we tortured her uh, without mercy, and I think she really loved it, even though she put up quite a fight. But we were, uh, we were a bunch to be reckoned with. And I remember turning to my brother, Seth. He was the next oldest, and I asked him when I was about four, maybe three and a half, you know, when would I be funny too? As if somebody flipped a switch, and then <laughs> you're part of the act, and you're funny too. So I think that was my initial introduction. Now, uh, Eyes of the Roshi is sort of a family affair for you, eh? Because you have uh, some of your family members in the movie itself. You know, I think uh, motion pictures is a family affair, period, because, (laughs) you know, Pop was in the motion picture industry. He uh, had quite a colorful career. He was uh, responsible for 150 motion pictures and Broadway plays being financed. He actually developed the use of the completion bond for the motion picture industry. Not a major motion picture is made today without the use of his innovation. 
And uh, as you may or may not know, he also, his crowning achievement was uh, getting the distribution for Plan 9 from outer space with Bela Lugosi. Now, this of is, all, of everything he ever did, this that is, brought, brought him the most joy. It's incredible. And I'm, again, I, I know the listeners of this show uh, will, would be very interested in hearing a bit more about that. The, the whole kind sure. of breakdown is available on your website, and I'll link people to that in the show notes. But like, how did this happen? And what was your relationship with Plan 9 from Outer Space with as, a, as a, say, a, a young person, as a teenager? Well, Doug, it actually, my history uh, is more of a spectator. Pop would regale us at birthday parties and family gatherings. We would beg him to tell the story of uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, where the producer, this little roly-poly guy, came into his office carrying the canisters of film under his arm. And he basically said, Al, I hear you're this uh, big attorney and you know how to get pictures sold. Basically, he sank his life savings into the film. And uh, he worked with this guy, Ed Wood, who was full of passion but was a little crazy. And he needed to get his money back. So uh, Pop, uh, without having seen the film... Uh, decided he'd take it to some guys in the city that owed him a couple of favors. They owned, I think, about a thousand screens, and they were going to screen this for Pop, and he was calling in his chit. And he figured, well, you know, it's got Bella Lugosi in it. How bad can this film be, right? <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> I go into great detail in the blog, but suffice to say, he's sitting in between the two theater owners and the lights go down, and then the flickering of that first shot. And from the moment the first flying saucer comes on screen where the fishing line is so evidently uh, clear, <laughs> my dad started melting like butter in his seat. And by the end of this picture, I think he might have been under his chair. And he was so so worried about what these guys were going to say. And he's trying to figure out his apologies when across him, you know, they asked each other what they thought of the film. And the one guy says, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Al, how much you want for it? So pop just pulled a figure out of his backside about twice. Uh, what the owner needed to get out of it. And uh, he and my father split the uh, winnings and, Plan 9 from Outer Space has made nothing but money ever since. But without my old man, Plan 9 from Outer Space would never have seen the light of day. Well, we all owe him a lot for that. Uh, so it sounds like showbiz is sort of in your blood and your family kind of as a whole's blood. When, when did you first start acting on your own? Like professionally acting, I should say. Uh, I think the bug, is you were asking earlier, uh, really hit me. Uh, and I've told this story before, but... I was watching uh, John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath on TV when I was a kid, maybe eight years old. And I was just in my living room when the movie came on, and the story of the Dust Bowl really hit me between the eyes. And I remember I was crying by the time the film was over, uh, listening to Henry Fonda's monologue. And it just so touched me. And I, you know, up until then, Everything was comedy with my brothers and me. You know, I, I grew up 
you know, I went to kindergarten able to sing uh, Springtime for Hitler from the producers. <laughs> you know, it, comedy 24-7, Lenny Bruce. And this was the first time a movie hit me like that. And I just remember thinking to myself, I want to do that. I, I want to do to people what just happened to me. And I think that's uh, really when I was first hooked into wanting to be an actor. And what was your path after getting that kind of bug? <laughs> and not just yourself, but I guess, you know, the acting does run through your family. Was, were your older brothers involved with it first or did you all kind of head into it together? Uh, no, it was one by one. Uh, Jonathan, who is the second oldest, it goes Richard, who was the lawyer. Jonathan came out of the womb wanting to be an actor. He knew. I mean, he was born, I, uh, I like to say, the doctor put him in mom's arms and he said, Mammy. He just, you know, he was already doing Jolson and singing and dancing. He knew he wanted to be an actor. Seth was a brilliant writer. He later became uh, an equally brilliant actor. And I didn't really know what I wanted to be other than a baseball player. And I think it was about seventh or eighth grade. Uh, Dee O'Brien put me in a, uh, uh, a Shakespearean play, Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, and I played uh, Bottom the Weaver. And I didn't even know I was auditioning. That's how green I was. Uh, she had me reading from uh, the play. And... You know, at the end of uh, the reading, she said, you got it. And I said, yeah, I, I, I know. She said, no, 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 dear, you, you got it. I said, yes, I understand what happened during the scene. She goes, no, 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 you got the role. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay, what does that mean? So I had no idea I was auditioning. And even after she told me I'd auditioned, I didn't realize uh, what I had done. And after... I had set foot on stage and heard that audience uh, respond to my antics. Um, something that happened to me in first grade came all the way back, hit me between the eyes, and I knew, that's it. I'm done. I'm dead. Uh, I'm no good for nine to five. So from that moment on, I, I knew I was going to be an actor. <laughs> now, uh, people can go over to your website and check out your extensive acting credits, but I did want to ask you about one thing sure. that's mentioned there. Uh, friend of the show and uh, and uh, someone who's been uh, keeping up on Eyes of the Roshi since its early production is uh, Mr. Will Harris. Uh, ah, yes. And Will's a great guy. And Will has had a uh, – I mean, he's interviewed almost everybody, especially character actors, people of that lineage. But one of his most famous interviews is with Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, yeah. Who, who, uh, <laughs> who Harry. Is, who who is the legendary character actor? He, I mean, he has too many credits to actually list. But um, I actually also, got to work with him. I know you did. I, ah, he, he's notoriously he did research. He's notoriously a little prickly sometimes, or a little bit um, unwilling to kind of focus on the past, or at least when it comes to interviews. But what was what was your experience with him? Oh, he was a doll. I loved Harry Dean Stanton. He's he was a class act all the way. As a matter of fact. Uh, it was Dream a Little Dream, and I was uh, a PA and a stand-in for Corey Feldman. <laughs> and uh, there was a moment Corey couldn't be there for Harry, and I was so green at this point on film sets. I said, oh, I, you know, I'm his stand-in, right? So I'll read for you, Mr. Stanton. And before I could get fired on the spot, 
uh, you know, because everybody was turning on me like piranha. Stanton says, that'd be great, kid. And that shut everybody up. <laughs> and I actually got to do a scene with Harry, Harry Dean Stanton. And it was great. And when we were done, he said, kid, that was really good. And I was just, I was on cloud nine. I mean, I was floating for the next couple of days. But that night, um, and we were in Wrightsville Beach, and it was bitter cold. It was winter, so the population there was about five, uh, not including the uh, seagulls and the crew. <laughs> and there was, a, uh, I guess, a cafe in the hotel, and it was deserted, except for Harry Dean at the bar. And... Uh, the uh, bartender. So, you know, I, I was a punk kid. I was 26 and I looked like I was 15. And, you know, I, I just kind of saddled up and I said, do you mind if I sit with you? And he said, sure, kids, sit down. And he regaled me all night with war stories oh, and man. Nicholson stories. And just, you know, we talked acting all night. And I mean, he couldn't have been kinder. And at the end of that, he says, give me your script. And I said, sure. And he just takes it out of my hands and he signs it. Ethan, stay committed. Harry Dean. And after that, that was, that's what I say to every other up and coming actor or anybody else who's, you know, slogging through this and not wanting to give up. And I just tell him, stay committed. And it's just my way to, you know, say thanks to Harry Dean for treating me like such a human. That's an unbelievable story. I mean, it is really kind of the ideal kind of old school Hollywood way of, of treating a young actor. I mean, it, it, you know, it, at that point, I couldn't have even been considered an actor. Right. I was, you know, I was uh, doing craft service and I was a stand in and, you know, I was invisible on that set. But. Not to Harry Dean. Amazing. What, one side story. I, I did get into a knockdown drag out fight with Jason Robards on that set. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, everybody was kissing his patootie. And, you know, I was just uh, happy to be in a room with him. And I idolized this guy as well. You know, mm -hmm. Iceman Cometh. And this guy was a theater actor and an Academy Award winner. But one day he just makes some wisecrack about Sean Penn. That kid couldn't act his way out of a paper bag. I said, what? Are you kidding me? He says, nah, what a piece of crap. I said, wait a minute. What have you seen him in? I don't have to see him. You know, because at this point, I think he might have still been married to Madonna. And he was beating up photographers. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just I said, wait a minute. You know, you came up in the tabloid age. I know you probably uh, took out quite a few photographers in your time. And uh, I know you had a drinking problem. So, you know, what are you doing? Have you ever seen uh, Blood Simple? No. Have you ever seen, you know, and I started rattling off, uh, uh, what, uh, is it Blood Simple? What was not, his not, film? Uh, in Colors? No, 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 no. Older. Oh, uh, Bad Boys? No, before Bad Boys. Oh. Maybe it was just after. It was with Christopher Walken and his brother. Oh, with Chris Penn. Uh, you know, it escapes me at the moment. Oh, I can't believe I'm having a senior moment. But I mean, I, I said, you watch that film. And then you come back and you tell me he can't act. 
then we'll talk about it. And he had one of the guys go out, get a VHS, and bring it to his room. He watched the film that night. Next day, he comes to the set. He says, kid. I said, yeah. He said, right, you're right. <laughs> I said, boom. Again, almost got fired. So those were my two strikes. <laughs> but you managed played, to hang in there. I played it cool after that. <laughs> I mean, I could ask you about stories like that all night. But even what I really want to get to now is how did you come to start your own production company, Light Age Films, and, uh, and what was your kind of motivation behind doing that? Well, first of all, uh, there was a gentleman... Um, who actually got me that job on uh, uh, Dream a Little Dream, and that is Craig Van Cannon of Van Cannon Associates. He was a mentor to me, you know, starting from about 30 years ago, and he helped get me my first job behind the camera. And uh, then he kind of mentored me as I was growing as a performer, and he said, Ethan, you know, on the East Coast, down in Virginia, you're going to... You know, you're going to basically be doing under fives for the next 30, 40 years. He said, you need to be starring in things. You need to be doing media roles. And if you really want to do that, if you want to have a chance of creating more of a career for yourself and to truly be satisfied as a performer, start producing your own work. And I think that's one of the things that really got me to push for my own production company. Of course, uh, my family actually built a movie studio in Suffolk, Virginia. Mm-hmm. It was a $20 million motion picture facility. It uh, was the largest on the East Coast at one time when it was built. And we shot Navy SEALs there with Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. Uh, savings and loan crisis hit, and all the banks were collapsing. And we had 20-year notes for $20 million, $16 million of which became due and payable literally overnight. And nobody had $16 million in their back pockets. So uh, that launched my independent film career, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> now, when, when it comes to light age films, is there an ethos behind the kinds of works that you want to produce? Well, I mean, I want to do something redeeming. I want to do something that has some social significance. And maybe not every film is going to knock down the doors of uh, you know, people's heartstrings and you know, what's beautiful about humanity, but there are other projects uh, like uh, White Buffalo and American Prophecy, our Native American documentary. And with that, my brothers and I get to travel throughout the Americas talking to the first Americans, the First Nations people, uh, receiving their wisdom and delivering it unfiltered to uh, you know, other Americans, so that they can start to have a true respect for and an understanding of uh, the indigenous peoples of America. Uh, it, it was an extraordinary experience, and we're in post-production with that right now. Yeah, I mean, it sounds life-changing. Uh, and, it was. It was. And, and um, It cer- still is, for that matter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to checking that out for sure. Now, because you are um, so heavily involved with the production company, did you seek out the project for Eyes of the Roshi, or, did, or was it something that was brought to you? A little of both. Uh, and I'll tie this all in for you. You know, having your own production company allows you the ability to work with the kind of people you want to work with. Uh, my family is 
first and foremost, and what I always try and do, is develop familial uh, relationships with the people I work with. So that, you know, when I find a good chemistry, you know, people become part of the family and you want to work with them for the next 30, 40 years. Right. You know, I mean, that's ideal. Uh, kind of like developing your own rep company. Um, and so one of the guys on my bucket list to work with has always been Eric Roberts. So I've got this gentleman by the name of Grandmaster Adam, Adam Yin, who literally is a 10th degree black belt in karate do and uh, yoga. And for the last 30 years, you know, he first was training my father in yoga. Uh, and all the while, he'd say, you know, you should do a movie about me. I'm like, yeah, okay, Adam, let's, let's do it. You know, and every couple of years, he'd come back. And my brother Richard, the oldest, and I would, you know, start to put some stuff together for Adam. And then Adam, you know, would go off and, you know, do tournaments or uh, teaching because he, he, he has never stopped teaching. Not since he was 10, and he's 64 now. Uh, he wakes up at 3 in the morning, every morning, to do his practice, by the way. And I frequently get calls at 3.30 saying, why don't you join me? And I say, why don't you go back to sleep? Uh, but being, that being said, Adam finally came back in 2014 and said, I'm serious. I really want to do a film. And we actually put the project together. And... Uh, what evolved was Eyes of the Roshi. So it mixes, you know, a little bit of his story, a lot of his philosophy, and a lot of testosterone. So what we have, and as you can attest to, is uh, we've interwoven the best of his philosophy, his Buddhist teachings, with what I think is a pretty dark comedy with, drama and action and splatter and you know we we throw the kitchen sink in there and i think we actually pulled it off it's it's a really interesting mix and before we started recording um we were talking briefly and i said that it did take me by surprise slightly specifically because it has that kind of spiritual center to it but it goes into very dark places uh it has a lot of really interesting characters uh you know it, it's interesting even if mistakenly we mentioned blood simple before that's a movie that it kind of reminded me of. yeah cohen brothers yeah cohen right. brothers in terms of the villain characters in the movie to a man they they reminded me of the works of the cohen brothers uh you know one of the reviewers said of the film if uh tarantino Sergio, uh, Sergio Leone and the Coen brothers had a theatrical, uh, a, a theatrical orgy, <laughs> then Eyes of the Roshi would be their cinematic love child. And I can't think of a better way to say it, so I've just adopted that. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's got lots of Sergio Leone. It's, I think, got the humor of especially the early Coen brothers. And I just think it's got a lot of the... Uh, not just shock value, but the way that uh, Tarantino is able to weave stories into each other. Because we tell a lot of stories in this uh, film. We introduce a lot of characters. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, it, it because of how characters kind of enter the film and then sometimes exit rather suddenly, uh, it really does kind of keep you guessing about who, who are going to be the last people standing when you get to those final 10 minutes or so. <laughs> 
I, I like to think that that's true. <laughs> uh, I'd like to think there's a bit of a surprise there. Now, th- was the script uh, in its original form? Were you, did you read that and say, you know, this is something that I'm interested in, or uh, did it need a lot of massaging when you first read it? Uh, there was no script. Oh, uh, Adam had his life story right. and a bit of uh, fiction mixed with nonfiction, <laughs> and it was a book, uh, and it was single space. And actually, I've never told this story before. Uh, so you'll appreciate. You get it first. Uh, we have a meeting where. Uh, a different producer and I and my brother Rick were all pitching our own ideas. And Adam, you know, comes to the meeting ostensibly to listen to the pitches, but he doesn't want to do anybody else's story. He actually came wanting to pitch his own story. And he had uh, Mary Mann with him, who later became our associate producer. And she had written the book for him. And he threw it at me, said, Here, re- read a scene. And the scene was, you know, like this chapter, single-spaced, you know, and it just didn't quite make sense. So I'm literally reading the scene, playing about 10 different characters, (laughs) and editing while I'm reading. And he says, wow, that's really good. See, I wrote a good scene. (laughs) (laughs) And my brother's looking at, he said, where where that scene come from? Because that's not what's on this page. And Adam said, you should be in the movie. And I said, look, uh, Adam, this isn't a movie. You have to write a screenplay. <laughs> and, you know, it's going to take a lot of development, a lot of work. But that's where uh, that started. And uh, from there, uh, we actually wrote one screenplay with a, a fantastic writer uh, out of Spain, Estefania Muñez. Only the screenplay that she wrote uh, would have required so much more money than we had budget for. And we never would have done that screenplay justice. And the young director uh, who I had wanted to do something with a lot more testosterone anyway. So he and the uh, first AD started uh, upon themselves to write a new script. And uh, that one uh, later became Eyes of the Roshi. Now, when that script was coming together, did you already have an idea of who you were going to play in the movie? Uh, No. In her script, I was an adoptive Vietnamese brother. Oh. Uh, And, you know, things went bad from there. Uh, So we had to go in a totally different direction. And uh, I'm still hoping to produce her script someday. But, you know, I need... uh, it, it can't be on the budget that uh, <laughs> we had to work with because we never would have done it justice. And uh, it's funny because Eric uh, said, you know, I didn't do this because you were paying me much. I did it because I, I liked the script. So that, that was nice. I mean, and not to, uh, not to focus too much right now on Eric Roberts, but it's – it how, must... how do you not focus on Eric Roberts? On Eric <laughs> Roberts is the fucking man. Well, the thing is, we're going to talk about him in just a second. But I okay, imagine... Because you no, know, you can never focus on Eric Roberts enough. Well, I, uh, there is a scene in the movie, not to give too much away. I was going to say, you're, you're one of the few people in recent years who have done a nude scene with Eric Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess you gave that one away. Uh, Eric, however, had no idea that one was coming. Uh, as a matter of fact, neither did the director. Uh, I had originally proposed uh, 
you know, to the director, you know, ideas for my character and whatnot. Because since we couldn't afford to have Eric Roberts for any great length of time, I said, you know, you're going to have to beef up my role a little bit because you can afford to have me as much as you want. But Eric's here for four days and we are going to get every ounce out of that poor guy. Uh, but, you know, he's gone. There's no calling Eric back. Right. And he's like, oh, okay. So, you know, at first when they were writing the characters, like, eh, you know, he's a little, you know, he, he needs to be... He needs to be Shakespearean. I mean, this this is not a friendly guy. You you have to have the antithesis of Adam. You know, Adam is everything that is good and light. This guy can be none of that. I mean, you know, as an actor, you know, I can't think that way. But as a producer, I, I wanted diametrically opposed personalities. I wanted yin and yang. What I like most about his character in this movie is yeah. that it really plays to to Eric Roberts' strength uh, as an actor, which is that he can play really fucking cool, right? He can be a really cool guy on screen, but he also can bring that kind of nervous, sleazy energy to a role. Um, and in this movie, he kind of gets to play both sides of it, and he's such an engaging actor to watch, but especially with the kind of dialogue that he has in this movie, which um, allows him to both play off other actors, and it kind of really kind of peaks at the right moment in the movie. It's so refreshing, uh, and I do have to say that, because we watch, you know, Eric Roberts works a lot. I mean, he works more than almost any actor that is ever existed. Well, I, I don't understand what you're saying, Doug. Do you think that... <laughs> Somebody who's been in 500 motion pictures is working too much. Hey, an actor that can support an entire podcast just devoted to his work because he works so often. Yeah, no, but but a lot he is, of the- he is Superman. He he is amazing. He literally goes from one film to the next, mm-hmm. and he loves the work. I think one of the incredible things is, no matter what. He loves, I mean, loves working. But when he gets there and he has the script in his hand and he's wagging it at you, <laughs> it at you and saying, this is a good script. And he's as pleasantly surprised as you were when we uh, first started talking about, uh, you know, the movie before we got on the air. You know, and that's exciting to us. You know, here's a guy... A lot of people don't realize, you know, he was Royal Shakespeare Academy trained Mm -hmm. and he's an actor's actor and he just doesn't get to show off all his chops all the time. And we just wanted him to have freedom to bring everything that he could bring to the table. So we wanted him to know, listen, you know what you're doing, you know, play a little. And we're going to bring our A game and play back with you. And I think, you know, one of the things is he is such a focused actor that anybody who's doing a scene with him, and not just fellow actors, but crew, anybody on that set just rises to a different level of game because he's that generous in giving. And believe me, you know, it's an indie film Mm -hmm. we had some green people because we couldn't afford a list um you know crew everywhere 
and we were training some people. And Eric had plenty of opportunities to be an asshole if he wanted to be. Right. And he had plenty of reason to be on occasion. And he was just a class act the whole way. And, you know, I, I looked at him at one point and I just said, you know, thank you. And he looked at me like, for what? I said, for being a, a good teacher, a good mentor. He says, oh, no, man, I, I'm, I'm not any of that. No, no, no. And I said, no, no, no. You have been. You are. Everybody is learning something on this set. And thank you. You've made it a great experience for everybody. And, um, you know, that made it that much more pleasurable for me. And believe me, uh, somebody running around, you know, helping in every asset of the film, uh, you know, from producer on down to actor, mm -hmm. I really, I benefited greatly from his creating that really wonderful energy on set. Can't thank him enough. Literally, he turned to me at one point and said, I want to be part of the rep company. <laughs> and actually, that's what I was going to just mention is that, you know, he does work with a lot of different directors uh, and producers again and again. Uh, and you can kind of see how <clears throat> he really does respect those kind of comfortable relationships, especially because yeah. he is someone who loves to work and would love, you know, loves to come back and and uh, and work with the same people again and again. It's so nice to see him play uh, a real role and not just have someone bring him on to play Eric Roberts' generic role number one. In this case, he's very integrated into the movie. You know, I was such a big Eric Roberts fan. Uh, you know, I don't want to say as a kid, but let's face it, uh, I'm a punk, and you know, I remember him from Raggedy Man sure. with uh, you know Spacek. Uh, and, you know, Pope of Greenwich Village and Star mm -hmm. A, you know, this is Eric Roberts. This guy is an actor's actor. There's no way we're not going to let him just go to town on this. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, uh, one of the reviews actually said that, you know, it, it recaptured a lot of his early magic. And, you know, for me... Just being part of that was extra special. I mean, and, and that's exactly what I was getting at with the idea of this kind of nervous energy. When you look back at those films like Star 80, like The Pope of Greenwich Village, where he has this kind of, it's not necessarily youthful energy, it's just sort of built into his character as a person. And I think that later in his career, throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, there's a lot of kind of laconic, slow drawl type roles. But here you have him... Uh, with that kind of extra bit of edge to his character. And I think it makes all the difference because, again, when he's on screen, you can't take your eyes off of him. No. No, and uh, when you're on the set with him, you can't either. <laughs> he, he, it's funny. He demands focus, and not because, you know, Eric Roberts is demanding focus. The actor across from you, that character, that person, you know is that compelling and it makes you hyper focused so you can't bring anything less than your a game when a, another actor who is not only that focused but that giving is an actor and that's something that i think is lost he was really generous as an actor he really he wanted to bring the best out of you it wasn't just about him and I think that's another reason 
that it was such an extraordinary experience. Now, Eyes of the Roshi is a independent film made on a low budget, uh, and one of the things you've really taken it as long as you're not calling us low, I'm okay with that. <laughs> and yes, it was Hi- a micro. It was a micro budget. High performers making a micro budget movie. Mm, uh, maybe not. Nice. <laughs> actually, nice. Actually, depending on how you interpret that, maybe maybe not as nice. But uh, in this case. You have taken to social media. You've really tried to build a groundswell of excitement and enthusiasm for the film. What has it been like marketing this movie? Well, it's been great. Uh, you know, we have built uh, a bit of a cult following, mm. basically. And I can't say we built it. I mean, it's been building for us. I guess, you know, podcasts and reviewers and just audience members who are catching it at a you know a, a screening here and there um, are really championing uh, championing the film for us. So it's actually kind of extraordinary to be, I guess, riding this wave. Um, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I, as an actor, have never been on something that keeps you know, growing and swelling, and uh, it's just, it's been pretty remarkable, uh, just to say the least. And it's nice because, you know, people keep finding us and then referring us to the next podcast and the next reviewer and the next interviewer. And, uh, you know, thank God people continue to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm sure what a lot of people who are listening right now are wondering is yeah. when can they see the movie? What's the what's the way for them to do so, and what's the future kind of distribution? Demand it, demand it. Uh, we have a hashtag. It's called We Want Roshi Film. Roshi, R O S H I, and basically we're creating the demand for the film, and uh, you know we're on the film festival circuit, but we're also doing screenings in different cities. We're going to have our world premiere. Maybe by the time this airs, we'll be, I think, four or five days away from the world premiere, which will be on Friday the 13th. We'll have a midnight madness screening. I think that's really appropriate for the film. And, uh, you know, from there, we have been so fortunate. Uh, There is a gentleman by the name of Sam Sherman. He is the president of International... Uh, let me back this one up, because I'm, I'm, I'm just having a senior moment, so let me back up. And I'll, I'll tell you what happened. All of a sudden, I realized at close range was the film that I was looking for. <laughs> Talk about bringing things full circle. <laughs> right. All right, so Sam Sherman is the president of independent international pictures. The man was uh, one of the kings of schlock movies in the 50s and 60s into the 70s. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Yes, yes, you know Sam Sherman, good man. (laughs) Well, Sam gets a Lifetime Achievement Award every other month, and he happened to be a client of my dad's and uh, became very close friends with Pop. Sam is one of the most knowledgeable people in the motion picture industry. Uh, He could have been an A-list producer. And he always made money with his films. So he never wanted to risk, 
you know, the big risk for going for the A-list because he was always making a good, solid living. He actually owned the rights to uh, Sadie Shapiro's uh, knitting book. I don't know if you remember that, but it was on the New York Times bestseller list for many years. And that could have been his introduction to A-list film. But he just, <clears throat> he never took the risk. He said, Ethan, it's a business. Right. If you want to be an artist, you be an artist. But if you want to eat, treat it like a business. So between Sam and my dad, they taught me the value of basically taking a buck and making it look like 10 bucks on the screen. And that was Sam and my father's philosophy. Um, but Sam has taken on the motion picture. He actually... He said, hey, why don't you let me take a look at it? You know, I'll see if I can give you some advice. Mm -hmm. I said, sure. Uh, you know, somebody's been in the biz for 50 solid years uh, selling features. I'm going to listen. So Sam calls me up. The film, it runs an hour and 47 minutes. Mm -hmm. Sam called me an hour and 57 minutes after I sent him uh, the movie. <laughs> and he says, Ethan. I said, yeah. He said, You've got a saleable motion picture here. <laughs> now, you got to understand, that's Sam. He's not effusive. He's, he's not going to say, oh, my God, it's the greatest thing. Oh, <laughs> you know, better than peanut butter and jelly. No, Sam's going to say, you have a saleable motion picture, young man. And that was him. And from him, that's praise from Caesar. Sure. So he said, Ethan, I'm going to take your film on. We're going to have a sale within two to three months. So he's... Walking us in into two really important houses. Uh, I'm not going to name them here, but suffice to say, uh, <clears throat> it would put us on the map. And he still has powerful uh, friends in uh, meaningful places. Sure. He actually came up in the old days with Sumner Redstone when Sumner was running his, uh, you know, drive-in motion pictures uh, across, you know, the Southwest. You know, before Viacom and before Blockbuster. and mm -hmm. Yeah, so he goes way back with a lot of important people. And uh, so he basically uh, has taken us on and he said, you're going to, we're going to sell this film. So, so I'm, I'm, I am in great hands, so I'm not worried sounds, about it. It sounds like it, but until, until it ends up in front of everyone's eyes, they should demand it. What's that demand hashtag? Demand it. We want Roshi film. And we do, don't we? Everybody, everybody who's listening, raise your hands. See? I've Lots. seen it. Oh, look I've, at all those hands. I've seen it, and I still want it. Good man. <laughs> well, <laughs> there, that's praise from Caesar. There you go. All now, right, we, so what were the most redeeming qualities about this film for you? Let me play interviewer for a second. Oh, sure, absolutely. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that the, the villains, I thought all of them had a three-dimensional element to them. Uh, and they did have, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word quirky, but what they they all had kind of levels of interest to their character. So because you spent so much of this movie with the villains in some capacity or another, that yeah. they had to be very distinguishable from one another. They couldn't just be generic evil villain or uh, evil generic uh, bad guy number one. These they all. These are not Roger Moore, James Bond villains. Exactly, exactly. Or, or, or if they are, then they're the top villain. Except there's a whole movie full of them. You know, they're 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 not cliches. 
And because they're not cliches, it means that you want to know more about them. You want to spend more time with them. And honestly, when certain characters were not in the movie anymore for various reasons, um, I missed them. I missed seeing them on the screen and seeing where that character would go and where the movie goes is in some very unexpected places. And that's another thing I loved about it. It just keeps you guessing. Keep hey. guessing. Keep guessing. <laughs> and I guess that we're just about ready to finish up here. But I just want to finish up with you, Ethan, and asking you, well, I'm Are sure— Are you saying I'm finished? You're not finished. I think you're just beginning. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> uh, but I do want to ask about light-age films. Uh, you mentioned that— sure. uh, that your documentary is going to be coming out. Is that going to be coming out in 2017? That will be coming out in 2017. It's White Buffalo and American Prophecy. It's really, it's actually a, quite a beautiful motion picture. Uh, the trailer is floating out there, and I think you guys have actually retweeted that for us several times. Mm -hmm. So you might be able to speak to that. Or if I'm putting you on the spot, uh, I guess you can look for it and retweet it again real soon. Uh, you know, tell Liam, since he was a coward and he didn't show up for this, <laughs> he can retweet it. Sorry, Liam. <laughs> Liam's a very nice fellow. I'm sorry I didn't get to meet him here. I'm, I'm, um, sure, I'm sure every time I'm speaking, there are listeners who are wishing that it was Liam speaking instead. Oh, I'm sure that's only true for some of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually have a uh, a script that I've been carrying around for mm. almost 25, 28 years oh. that belonged to my brother, Seth. Uh, he wrote that all those years ago, and I swore to him I was going to produce it when I was a punk kid. And that's called Lost April, and that's uh, in development. That's one that we're going to shoot within a year or two. My brother Jonathan has a comedy called Real Life, and I think we're shooting that in 2017. Uh, in the Gray was actually a story developed by Eric Roberts himself, and he asked us if we wouldn't produce that. So we're trying to make that happen as well. So, yes, there are a lot of projects, a lot of family projects, and now that Eric has been adopted as one of the <laughs> – one of the Martin brothers, he's going to have to be Gummo or Zeppo because all the good Marx brothers have been taken by, you know, the other Martin brothers. You'll give him one song <clears throat> <to> film. <laughs> <laughs> nice reference. Good man. I'm proud of you. Now, yes. Ethan, now, Ethan, if people want to keep up on what you're doing, what Light Age Films is doing, what's the best way for them to do so? You know, we're all over Twitter. Uh, the various brothers have their little hidden accounts. I'm right out there in the open. Ethan Martin, M-A-R-T-E-N. Or you can go to EthanMartin.com. Or you can hit us on Facebook at Eyes of the Roshi. Or Ethan Martin or actor, producer, activist, or any one of a thousand different ways. Uh, we'll talk back to you. We love hearing from our audience. And uh, we're appreciative. We know that you guys are the ones keeping us going. And I'm actually sitting with my co-author. Uh, we're writing a, uh, a self-help book. Her name is Dr. Uh, Pamela Ann Bro, And we're writing uh, a book that will also come out about the same time as White Buffalo. And uh, that's actually going to be a very poignant and helpful book as well. So how do you reach us? Anyone on the social media. And we love talking to you. And we thank you so much for uh, creating this cult phenomenon that is Eyes of the Roshi. Well, 
I know that everyone listening is going to want to check it out. They're going to be putting that hashtag on Twitter. They're going to be demanding it. What hashtag? What hashtag, Doug? Oh, you know, the one that you said several times before. I'm going to listen back, and then I'm going to put it out oh, there while I'm listening. We hey. want Roshi film. No, we- you have to say it. Doug? Hashtag we want Roshi film. If you're not using that hashtag, if you're not putting it out there, then what's wrong with you? You must be some sort of coward. And and I, I mean... Are you bringing Liam into this again? Leave Liam out of this. Look, I'm going to take Liam by the neck a little bit later, and I'm going to make him tweet this out, whether he wants to or not. And guess what? He wants to, because why wouldn't he want to? Yeah, by the way, what did he think of the film? Oh, he loved it as well. I mean, again, we're, uh, we're kind of used to, on this show... Watching yeah. movies, especially in, in, in recent Eric Roberts projects in 2014, 2015, 2016, that they vary pretty wildly in quality. And that is not uh, a knock on him. It's because... No, because no matter what the film is, he is always fantastic to watch. He's the fucking man, you might say. <laughs> you know what? You ought to do a show about it. <laughs> but, uh, what... By the way, has he ever been on the show? Or would that kill it if he... If he... Came on. Well, this is just between you and me, Ethan, and nobody else. Is yeah. is that I figure that if we really needed Eric Roberts to be on this show, that there could be ways to make that happen. But I don't want him on here until the very last episode. And Perfect. there there is a plan for that. No, but... it's kinda like it's kinda like marrying the couple in the sitcom or having the baby. Once Absolutely. once once you once you get married or have the baby, your show is done. That's it. That's so it. So you are right. We, we need, we need a, an escape plan. We need room to go up. We need room to rise. So that's it. Eric Roberts is the peak. Up until then, we're just we're at base camp right now. We're working our way up. We want plenty more Eric Roberts. We want plenty more films from Light Age Films. We want plenty more from you, Ethan. And we want plenty more opportunities to see Eyes of the Roshi. Get that hashtag out there. Demand it. Thank you so much, Ethan. I really have enjoyed talking to you. It's such a pleasure to be able to talk to someone who's spoken, who has acted with Eric Roberts directly. But uh, also, this is a movie that I've been curious about for a long time. So just thanks for giving me the opportunity to check it out. Well, Doug, thank you. And thank Will for uh, having introduced us. Uh, he is a class act, by the way. He also actually happens to be one heck of a, a writer. Oh, I know it. One of my very favorite, not just a writer, I mean, like, an amazing writer, an amazing interviewer. He's, he was one of my influences to ever want to interview anybody. Uh, and, and, and really, he, he doesn't even know this, but he's one of the influences of this show because uh, he, many years back, or a few years back, did a Random Roles interview with Eric Roberts. And it just kind of showed just how much uh, content was out there and was just scratching the surface. So, yes. so we have come full circle. You know what? Maybe we'll just end the podcast now. There's no reason. No, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I love this podcast. <laughs> what would I do if you kill this podcast? No, you must keep going. You like heard- you said, we're, we're at the peak. We're climbing Mount Everest. Keep climbing, young man. That's it. And and longtime listeners know that, of course, Liam and I have made a blood oath to watch all Eric Roberts-related film, TV, and other media. So there's nothing we can do. We must persevere until we get to the top of Mount Roberts. Ethan, thank you again. And we hope to hear from you soon. And, of course, we'll all be keeping our eyes out for Eyes of the Roshi. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man If there's anything that you can do Eric Roberts fucking can